Hello and welcome to Rituals of Our Mothers. I'm your host, Amy Jones, and this is episode six of season one. My guest is Monica Rogers. Monica is the creator of The Revelation Project. She also has her own podcast called The Revelation Project. So if you get a chance, please do check her out. She is doing phenomenal work for the Divine Feminine. I met Monica through a dear friend of mine, Rebecca Gold. Rebecca offers yogic writing programs and I teach the somatic portion for these programs and that is how I met Monica. I am very grateful for being blessed to know Monica and I have spent some time getting to know her pre-interview and I am just enamored with the work that she's doing and with what she is offering the planet during these interesting times. Monica, I wanted to thank you for coming on to the podcast. It feels really exciting because in the last month or so, I feel like I've been able to get to know you a bit more. And I feel like you have a really intriguing, deep wealth of self and self-knowledge that feels really important to be shared and your relationship with the feminine feels really important to share right now. And that being said, I'm just really curious about what your interest in the podcast is and was when you first heard me talk about it and what was your curiosity around the podcast? Sure. Well, first, thank you so much for having me. This is an honor. I've, I too have grown to just admire you and your work and um, the way that you hold women, of course, in the way that I know you, which is through my writing group and you being a facilitator of so much of the somatic body work. So I have loved getting to know you in that way. And yeah, we had the opportunity to chat a little bit more and I learned about your podcast and what really intrigued me is that I think that the conversation about mother as an archetype, as a, not only as an archetype, but also, of course, we're all born of the mother and we all have, I think, um, such a, an intricate um, relationship with, with the mother, (laughs) with our mothers. And so I'm, I'm kind of using that term interchangeably because there's that personal mother and then there's that archetypical mother. Mm -hmm. Um, and so to me, it's such an important conversation for what's going on in the world right now, because I think we're experiencing, um, a time of great revelation. Mm -hmm. And I think we're also experiencing, uh, part of that, um, which is, is a reckoning. Um, and the reckoning really, I think, invites us to look at where we have some wounds that need um, maybe some healing, need some attention, some, um, some exploration. And I think that if each of us were to look um, within ourselves that we would find that we all have a mother wound, even if it's, if it's not in the personal way, perhaps more in an archetypical way. And we can talk more about that, but it's, mm-hmm. it seems to me like a very relevant conversation for, for these times. Indeed. I agree with you. And I, when you were talking, I had this memory of my tantric teacher telling me or telling the class at the time, she said, even if your mother is not alive, if your mother um, is someone that you struggle with on a regular basis, you can work through your wounding with the great mother. She is there and she is ever present to do your dance with. And I think that we speak about the mother wound a lot these days. I, I'm sure not enough, but I feel like at least in my circles, I'm hearing it a lot and I'm hearing this work around the feminine. And I indeed, I do believe it is the era of the goddess. The goddess has risen and is rising. And 
I think about how important it is for women, regardless if they are going to have children, have children, do not have children, to focus in on healing in regards to just the collective energy, because every person that makes that revolutionary decision to heal is, is affecting the collective. And that I think is really when we talk about and I'm thinking of my friend who's getting ready to give birth. It, there's that saying, it takes a village. And I really do feel like it takes a village to heal also. And I mm -hmm. think that for every woman doing their work, as you are doing with the Revelation Project, as I am doing with Room, we get to provide these platforms and we get to offer this space for us to work on healing. And I just think that's absolutely magical. I can't imagine doing anything else in my life right now. And um, so I'm curious, Monica, like what led you to really beginning your thought process, dance conversation with the mother archetype? And how does that reflect with your relationship with your actual mother? Yeah, well, it's, it's such a great question because um, I, I think like there's kind of this idea of a, of a triple wound. Um, and I had all three. So mm -hmm. meaning, um, a, a woman who's disconnected from herself, mm -hmm. a woman who is disconnected from her mother, um, and a woman who is disconnected from the earth. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, and I really had all three. Mm -hmm. And I, and I didn't know that I had all three, but what I did know is that my suffering was acute mm -hmm. and, um, you know, and, and so I want to kind of zoom out and just kind of create a little bit more context here, because one thing <clears throat> that I, that I, um, didn't recognize was I, I couldn't see the structure that is hiding in plain sight, which is the system or the matrix of the patriarchy, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and all the things that go with it, like um, racism and sexism and capitalism and all of the ways right. in which it's a very extractive, um, it's a very toxic. And when I say the patriarchy, of course, I don't mean men because men suffer from the patriarchy too. It's a system that benefits a few Right. Um, and it's, and it's kind of the way that our world has worked for over 2,500 years mm -hmm. in that, um, in order to kind of hyper-masculinize the world, it, it has come at the cost of oppression of the feminine energy. And that includes, of course, women, mothers, daughters mm -hmm. right and it, and of course it does yes harm fathers and sons and boys um and it even harms the relationship between the masculine and the feminine or men and women right so so it gets really kind of complicated but in this but i but i feel like you know setting that context or or container for this conversation is important because where where i was was kind of in this very lost place, right? Like I had done all the things they say we women can do. I had succeeded from the lens, so to speak, of, of the patriarchy, that mm -hmm. narrative. But what but I was depleted, I was depressed, I was confused, I was lonely, I was disconnected, I was numb. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, I knew that I had a difficult relationship with my mother. I always had had a really, really rough relationship with my mom. Um, but what I didn't know was that it, it had such an impact, like, because so many of us are raised by mothers who have been patriarchalized, right? Right. So, and, and we don't kind of recognize that that pattern just repeats, right? Like, and so let me kind of uh, also create the 
the opposite of, of the patriarchalized mother, which is kind of the cherishing mother, the mm-hmm. nourishing mother, the mother who um, allows you and actually encourages you to shine your brightest light mm-hmm. that celebrates you even in your human mess, right? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that wasn't my mom. And I love my mom. Like I love my mom so much. My mom has been such a great teacher for me. Mm. Um, and so in, in kind of starting my revelation project, Mm -hmm. what I started to reveal was that I had stopped feeling. I had, as many of us raised in the patriarchy do, I was taught that my body was not to be trusted, Mm -hmm. was sinful, um, was that things like intuition or feelings were frivolous, mm-hmm. um, woo woo extraneous, like, again, um, they made me somehow weak. Um, anything that was feminine was somehow, um, just, yeah, it, it was like, a. I think too, I, I want to kind of touch into something also that I've learned, which is the heroine's journey. Moni, um, Maureen Murdoch kind of identified the fact that women's journey is different from the hero's journey. Mm-hmm. The, the heroine's journey is a quest for wholeness and, and that includes the masculine mm-hmm. and what had happened is that I had over-identified with the masculine because I had decided at an early age, again, because of kind of the patriarchal influence that my mother, you know, and I, and because I didn't have that connection with her, I had kind of hyper-masculinized and identified myself with my father to, to get his love, right? Like I, I succeed in a way worthy in his eyes, you know, and at that time in my life, my mom was, was a, was a mother and which is the hardest job in the world. And she was kind of just as frustrated with her lack of being able to be fulfilled in a patriarchal society, but we didn't have the language for this. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The language. Yeah. That I, I wanted to speak to that because I think that, um, you know, I was thinking about my, the generations of my grandmother and my mother and now myself and even my sister and her daughter, it, it is, it is something that takes time to find that language, because as you were sharing, Monica, it takes time to discover ourselves. And that is a real sacred act. You know, it, it, it takes letting go of what's external and really coming inward and looking at ourselves and going through ourselves with a fine tooth comb. What is working? What isn't, what is hurting? What is hurting and how do I listen and respond, not react? And I think that what you had, you had said something about you know, the detachment from the body and responding from that patriarchal viewpoint of, I I remember when I was still bleeding, when I had my cycle and um, popping pills, so many pills to numb what was actually happening and just showing up, showing up to work, showing up in my relationship, showing up in my obligations, trying to have a smile on my face and not really understanding like, this is the complete opposite of what I should be doing. You know, I felt like I should be rolling around in the dirt, just bleeding into the earth. Like I was, Mm -hmm. I really, I felt like I was dying. And, And yet for so many years, I was so angry at my body that I didn't, how could I ever have a conversation with my body about what was going on? And so I think you really hit the nail on the head with that. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to go out on a tangent, but I just- No, I love that contribution because it's really, it's really true. And so to, to really go back to, you know, one of the points that you were just making is like that 
it's counterintuitive in a way because it's so foreign to what we've been taught is that slowing down, that quieting, that re-inhabiting ourselves. That's a real process Mm -hmm. when you've lived most of your life up in your head and out of your body disassociated from it. And I always say that most women, um, that is what happens to us because from a very early age, you know, it's like death by tiny paper cuts, this messaging that comes to us about, you know, the, like all of the messaging that I was referring to earlier about, like, you can't trust your intuition. The body is sinful. Eve is, is created the downfall of man, you know, like all these messages, right? Like a a woman must obey her husband. Like if you were raised Catholic, right? Like all of these biblical things. And then you get out in the world and you see women objectified and commodified and, you know, and it's all of these messages. What happens is that it's not like, I mean, women were built to intuit the world. We are so extra sensory. And so we, we pick up on all of these messages, overt and covert. The bottom line is by the time we get to age 10 or 12, we've disassociated, you know, Mm -hmm. because the body has become emotionally uninhabitable. Mm-hmm. because it's so painful to live in a body that continues to give you cues that things are not right, mm-hmm. that, right. That this world is upside down, right? Like why would we want to live in a body that is continually put, putting the alarm bells on? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So we leave that place, but, but in order to heal, we have to return home and we have to make this place safe. Mm -hmm. And it's by making our way home to ourselves that we then create and making ourselves safe that we start making the world a safe place. It It starts with us. It does. And, and that makes me, I'm curious, did something happen either with your father or your mother that would have stopped you in your tracks was it something with your parents or was it some um internal experience that sort of stopped you in your tracks and said something isn't right I need to make a change here yeah well great great question because um I always say that I almost had to lose my life to choose my life Mm. and um and I was forced as one is, you know, when you're not listening to the signs, especially I think if you know, you have an agreement. And I say that like, like, I know, I know now that like, I have a soul contract to bring this work into the world in a bigger way. Mm -hmm. And the goddess, like I wasn't getting the message, you know, like, I I feel like she was like, poke, 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 you know, like, (laughs) how about this? How about this? How about this? You know, and like, I was just overriding it all. And so finally, you know, I feel like the goddess Kali came, you know, and was like, I got the universal two by four, you know, that was like, bang. Yeah. And it, and it (laughs) happened in the, you know, in the form of, um, everything at once. It was literally like, like Pema Chodron talks about the wisdom of no escape, right? Like there was no escape from this. It was, um, it was in 2008 when the other kind of economic crash or the real estate crash happened. Mm -hmm. I lost my business, my marriage. I was being sued. I had a massive health crisis. Um, and you know, I always say that she left me and my children and that was about it. Mm-hmm. So, um, I went to bed really is what happened. It was like, I had lost my way, but my body knew the way mm-hmm. I just, I just had to surrender. And it was, it was almost like the sickness, right. Um, is, is what forced me to be to come back into my body to start paying attention Mm -hmm. and so it it came in that form of like a massive health crisis and a major depression and I was basically in bed for almost nine months wow and was your 
mother uh, present at that time. I mean, kind of being, you came neck to neck with the goddess. Woo, there she is. And I know that experience. I know when spirit is, you know, tapping lightly and sending messages and you know, that universal smackdown comes when you don't listen. And it usually comes in the form of losing stability, whether it's your structure for me, it, for me, the universe likes to go, your back's going to go out. You can't, you're not going to be able to walk or get out of bed, or you're going to have to sit with everything, you know, or losing a, a, a relationship, losing, like you said, your business. And then it's a, you know, a real message when you lose that is the tower card uh in the tarot deck that is like the foundation is not right we're destroying everything and you're gonna rebuild and start from scratch and of course you have the love of your children and that support and that creation so you came neck to neck with the mother what about your actual mother? Like, where was she? Because, because you were saying you had a really sort of, you love your mother and I hear that. And there has been a lot of difficulty and struggle. And it yeah. makes me think about, you know, that difficulty and struggle sometimes stems from, most of the time stems from that core relationship. So, so where was she during this time? Well, right. So, um, so I began what I didn't know then was a descent, mm -hmm. right? So Inanna, the myth of Inanna and Arashkargil is that, you know, you, you kind of go down into the underworld. And, and that was where I had to meet my wounded inner child. Mm -hmm. And, and guess, guess who was right there in that wounding was my mother. Mm -hmm. And and so my, so we're talking about kind of two things. We're talking about kind of that spiritual journey. Right. And we're also yeah. talking about, well, where was my mother physically when all this went down? Mm -hmm. Right. So before I talk about the descent, let me kind of go back in time and create some context around my mother and what that relationship was like. My mom was actually a nun. She was wow. a nun. Yeah. She okay. was a nun in the Catholic church and she was also a nurse mm -hmm. and she and my father met in the OR in the operating room. He was a surgeon. He was 20 years older than her. And he already had a wife and three children when they met mm -hmm. my mother was 20. He was 40. Um, so, sorry. It cut out. Say that again. Your mother was how old? My mother was 25. My father was 45. 25. Um, okay. Yeah. I can hear you. So your mother was 25. Your father was 45 and it was 1965. 1965. 1965. Okay. Yeah. And a really interesting series happened that my was drafted to Vietnam. Mm -hmm. He getting a, which was that his wife was deeply ill with alcoholism and he he could not leave his children without basically going and telling the administrator of the hospital that he could not go to Vietnam and be a medic there and leave his children unattended. Um, they ended up sending my mother. Um, wow. Yes. Incredible. Okay. Incredible. Now, <laughs> What I didn't know at that time was my mother had had a subarachnoid hemorrhage right around the same time, but she was in recovery when they sent her. Okay. A, a subarachnoid hemorrhage is like a brain aneurysm, right? And some people have them like they're, they're kind of existing in their brain. And then someday something happens and the aneurysm uh, explodes and it's similar to a stroke. And most people who have this don't actually survive. So she was one of the 20%. So her odds of surviving, right, were slim. And she, and she might've mentioned it growing up a couple of times, but more in the realm of like, yeah, it's a miracle, right? Like, like, and I didn't realize that when you have a brain injury of this type, you actually go on to have sustained um, difficulties for the rest of your life, because it actually 
it actually destroys a portion of your brain. Okay. In my, in my mother's case, it destroyed her capacity for insight. Wow. Okay. So I just want to say miraculous is I, the imagery of faith and the belief in the church, there, there's, I'm having so much imagery as you're talking, but also this, there, there is so much depth because it's almost like just from the, the amount that I know about you, I can almost say that your mother gave birth to insight via you. It was like she, her brain and her body said, we can no longer do this. Here's a, here's a daughter that will have this deep insight. Keep going. I'm on the edge of my seat, Monica. <laughs> Me too. Every time I kind of... <laughs> Because, because again, like I, what I want to say about this is I didn't know. Okay. I didn't know until about seven years ago and I'll wow. tell the, and I'll tell that story. Okay. But how, how, so let me go back to, so, sh, so she was in recovery from this in 1965. We didn't know what we know now about brain aneurysms. Right. So as far as she was concerned or my father was concerned, she was fine. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, she, interestingly enough, she never went back to nursing mm. and had she gone back to nursing, we probably would have known sooner how much damage there was because she couldn't build on a foundation anymore. So she had act everything that she knew before the brain aneurysm, but again, in destroying her capacity for insight, it also destroyed her ability, her executive functioning skills. Mm -hmm. So she couldn't build on what she had already learned about nursing. It would have been very, very difficult, if not impossible for her to keep the pace of learning that comes with a nursing career. Mm -hmm. Coincidentally, she and my father ended up having a letter correspondence because she was sent to take care of his children and his wife. Mm -hmm. She recognized that his wife, his wife was incapacitated and unable, um, in the five years that she was caring for them, my father and she fell in love through a letter correspondence. Wow. That is a lot. It's like a love story. I mean, it, it is, is a love story, but it's like this. Wow. Okay. <laughs> it is. And I think she was really torn because she had not, she had committed to a life in the convent. And so she was like, wait a minute. And he, and he was starting to express his love. And now she had this massive conflict. So, but I, and I think that my father saw so much light and love. And I think he had been suffering for so long in, in a very emotionally unavailable relationship. And he himself, like most men in the patriarchy, you know, was kind of in the man box. And so here he was now with this woman that was all emotional. Like she wasn't very intellectual because of the brain thing. <laughs> right. Right. And so he had this opportunity to now like feel witnessed and known through this woman. Mm. And it ended up that she, that they got his marriage annulled. They got his ex-wife, the help she needed. They went to the Bishop and she left the convent and, um, and then they ended up starting a family. And so she was 30 when I was born mm -hmm. and then she had three more children after me. Mm -hmm. um, one of them didn't survive, but we, so we have, my dad had kind of had these two families, mm -hmm. right? So he was kind of starting, starting with the second litter, so to speak with our family. Uh -huh. The interesting, so now I'm going to go into where the wounding was really interesting. So mm -hmm. because my father was a surgeon, he was never home. Mm -hmm. So the way that my mom's brain injury played out in our lives was she had a hard time with emotional regulation. Mm -hmm. So she was very unpredictable. She, mm -hmm. she would often have bouts of like, she, she almost like childish, like giggling and able to play with you one minute, but then she would kind of go into a lot of um, emotion and crying. And it was just, it was very scary as a kid to be around. Right. Absolutely. She just, she wasn't, it was like she had arrested development from a very young age. And, and I kind of now recognize that 
even though she had the brain injury at 25, it was like, she was at arrested development right around like a 17 year old, like Mm -hmm. 18 year old. So it was like being raised by a 17 or 18 year old. And I now have a 19 year old. So trust me, like now I, I really understand (laughs) how problematic that is, you know? Right. Right. It would manifest was that my mom, um, she developed a lot of coping skills leaned even more into her faith because she would drop us off places and forget when she was supposed to pick us up or where we were. And so oftentimes I would find myself, I felt like who has to find her way home. Like, you know how the stepmother would take her out in the forest and try to lose Hansel and Gretel and they would find their way back. Right. That's, that's what it felt like. It was like, I never knew if she was going to come and get me, if she was going to pick me up. So I had all these abandonment issues. Mm -hmm. And again, I didn't know that she, that she didn't have these skills. So Mm -hmm. she just put her faith in God and knew that I would find my way home. Right. Wow. And oftentimes I had my brothers and sister, my brother and sister with me. And so like, I was the adult, you know, in, in the family growing up. And I, and I'm sure a lot of listeners can relate to that because there's a lot of ways. I think we had to grow in the patriarchy. We have to grow up really fast, right? Really fast. And then you, you add in because it's mirroring alcoholic behavior too, of when a parent would have like a blackout or, you know, a binge and you wouldn't see them where um, the not knowing who's on the other side of the door when you're going to come in is incredibly detrimental to um, development of a child and to have someone in the home again the primary caretaker that flips on a dime i mean it's it's un it's so difficult so i would imagine did you have um a lot of anxiety not just the abandonment, but the anxiety. Oh my gosh. I mean, I, I was the kid who probably had like, um, I mean, they would have called it D back then. Right. Like, but I know it was post-traumatic stress. Like I couldn't focus Mm. in school. I was always so hyper concerned with, with, with it was my mother. Okay. Like I always knew something was wrong. Something is wrong. Something is wrong. Like she's not other, like other mothers. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing that would often happen was she couldn't remember anything about me and she couldn't storytell because you need details, you need context for that. And so I, I, I internalized that as she, I'm not lovable. I'm not worthy enough to remember anything about because she couldn't remember. She couldn't remember my favorite food. She couldn't remember my friend's names. She couldn't like, she would she would pretend like if a friend walked through the door, she'd say, Oh, there's a familiar face, you know, and she'd be, but, but I could tell she didn't actually remember that friend's name, even though she had met them a number of times. So it was, it was so confusing. Like it was actually really crazy making not to know. Of course. And so, and so I think again, like, I think, wow, I did the best I could. And I, and, and now I know she did too, right? Like in, in a weird way, discovering this happened when I, so as I was raising my daughter is when I started to have triggering memories, traumatic memories, being the same age as my own daughter was that so when I went into this descent, I now have, have a daughter who's six years old. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I didn't yet know that my mom had experienced the brain injury, but in the descent, what I started to recognize was that I, I had abandoned myself in just like my mother had abandoned me. I had abandoned myself mm-hmm. in so many places along my life's path for not being good enough for not, not being smart enough for, you know, um, for denying my truth or for wearing a mask, right? Like all of the ways in which 
in, to choose love and belonging, mm-hmm. right? That I had forsaken myself. And of course, in that descent, what I started to do was to, it was like visiting the ghost of myself and all of the inner children or all of the phases of my inner children who were kind of waiting for me to come back and get them. Just like that same child was waiting for her mother to come and get her. Right. And so it was, it was actually learning how to, how to mother myself Mm -hmm. that finally started the healing process and started having me understand that if I didn't address this in my life, that I was going to be perpetuating the same wound on my daughter. And so when you, when you and your family got the discovery and the diagnosis received the diagnosis, rather that your mother had this brain injury and had been having it, how do you, because that to me is that sort of human paradox or divine paradox of being human of, oh, here's the information that I didn't have as a child that none of us had that quote unquote excuses all of this, but I'm still damaged. I'm still hurt. I still, and I I really do believe, I mean, the Course in Miracles says the only reason this world exists is for our healing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes my response to that is it's because of this world that I need healing, you know, so it feels really confusing to me. But that being said, where is your compass now in regards to your healing process after learning, being given this golden ticket? Like, here it is. Here's what actually happened. And this is why your mother was the way that she was and perhaps still is. Right, right. Well, back to the revelation project, right? Because again, I say that we're all doing our own revelation project and mine, right, was getting this massive revelation. And so how this happened was, I started to recognize, as most of us do, because we hit these healing crises along the way, like just because I had had this massive nine month thing, it wasn't like, oh, it's done now. I'm Mm -hmm. arrived, right? (laughs) It's like the, the journey had really only just begun. And part of the process of meeting the goddess and getting this piece about self-love and, you know, starting to now practice this in my life was I had recognized that my nervous system was shot and probably it was like PTSD, right. From my childhood, but I couldn't even think, and I was so distracted all the time. And I, and I have a friend who has ADD and she was like, Monica, have you ever gotten checked for ADD? Cause I think you have it. And I, I always thought it was just like a, you know, like the stereotypical hyper little kid who can't sit still. And I didn't realize that it's much more intricate and complex than that. And of course, any kids who have experienced trauma often have ADD tendencies because um, we tend to our nervous system is so dysregulated and it kind of stays in that dysregulated state and it starts to have health impacts on us over time. And so that can often be like a thyroid issue, right. Or, or adrenal failure or right. Like, so I was really exhausted and I could not seem to like, even after this nine month experience feel better. And I just noticed that like, one minute I'd be doing the laundry and then I would realize like I had forgotten something in the oven and I was just a kind of a hot mess all the time. Mm. And so I decided to go and get evaluated. And when I got the diagnosis of ADD, which again, I think is tricky because I think it's really PTSD, Mm -hmm. but at least the diagnosis led me into understanding a little bit more. But what it really did was get me to say, this must be what my mom has. Mm. And I brought my mom to be evaluated at the Sudbury Center, at the Hallowell Center. And of course, they don't just diagnose ADD. They diagnose all kinds of brain things. Uh And, And I thought we were just going for a consult. And in fact, the doctor we got just so happened to be divinely choreographed because we got assigned a doctor that I thought she just started asking my mom the same way I was evaluated. And I was there with her. But the doctor picked up on the fact that 
something was different about my mom and she happened to be the only doctor on his staff that was that worked with the survivors of aneurysms families the only doctor oh the only doctor of his staff of 30 doctors that was was worked with survivors of aneurysms and their families Mm -hmm. and so in the interview she would say things to my mother like mary jane have you ever been in a car accident my mom would say no and i'd say mom but what about when you ended up in the swamp last year what about she'd be like oh oh yeah i forgot about that and then the doctor would say mary jane have you ever struggled with depression and my mom's like no i'm like um but mom (laughs) You're on an antidepressant, right? Like, and so the doctor said, finally, after like five questions like this, the doctor said, Mary Jane, have you ever experienced a traumatic brain injury? And my mother immediately said, yes, in 1965, I had a subarachnoid hemorrhage. And I looked at the doctor and I was like, because I didn't even know what that meant. Mm-hmm. And, and the doctor said, did you know that? And I said, well, she had, she might've mentioned it, but she mentioned it the same way she'd said, like, pass the potatoes. It was not a big deal, uh-huh. you know? And the doctor said, I, I think I understand what's going on. Reaches for this diag or this um, model of the brain and came over and explained to me, first of all, how lucky my mother was to have survived. And second of all, that 100% of the 20% of people who survived the kind of aneurysm that she had go on to have difficulty, which is the reason she works with survivors' families, not the survivors themselves, because they don't think anything is wrong. Wow. Talk about divine weaving of everything you being there that doctor being picked your mother saying yes even to going and getting this test that is absolute divine work at hand I mean like I I know and you cannot make it up and the thing that I always say is this is how I know that these things are happening for me do you know what I mean because I could easily be like, this happened to me and be so upset and angry. And to answer your question, in the moment that I had the realization there with the doctor, I started to weep. Mm -hmm. We, We ended up doing five hours of testing with my mom to really determine. And that day that we got the test results and the doctor met with my family to explain what, how this shows up. I wept and wept and wept. It was literally like I was, and yes, it skewed my whole story. My whole narrated story was now ruined (laughs) because it wasn't that my mother didn't love me. Right. Mm -hmm. And again, like, I know that there are women listening out there that actually their mother cannot love them. I get that too. Yes. Like I get it. Like, because that is true. There are mothers that cannot love. And actually my mom, for, for as much as I know that it's not intentional, she can't love me either. Even though I know this, do you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. it just, it just helped me to see the thing that was, I, I couldn't, it was almost like, like I couldn't rest in any part of me until I figured out what the hell is wrong with her. Cause I knew my whole life, but I had just never I never had an answer. And it was, a, it was a miracle for me to get an answer. Yes, a miracle. And I'm, so just from a, to go, to dive a little just into the brain injury and the science, even if she had gotten help at that time, it wouldn't have changed her reactions and responses as being a mother, correct? Yeah. Correct, correct. Um, you know, what's very true is that the only thing that would have made a difference is the outer community understanding and mm-hmm. being able to help us kids understand, mm-hmm. you know, so that we could have some context for like, well, why does she forget us all the time? And why does she have, you know, why does she, when things go wrong, she says she's going to kill herself and she runs in the bathroom, you know, in the bedroom and cries her eyes out and locks everybody out or right. Like there were ways that she was, she just couldn't cope with everything that was happening at raising children. Mm-hmm. And 
And she had developed these very sophisticated coping skills. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but, you know, again, like we do the best we can as children and we don't understand. Well, and that's, that's just it, Monica. We do the best to survive number one and to maintain any, any thread of peace and kindness, uh, connection, connection is the word I want to say there. We do whatever it takes truly. And, um, I'm just, I mean, I, I had to like hold back the tears when you were telling me that you were weeping because I feel like I, I mean, I'm weeping with you for you alongside you. Um, because I cannot imagine you know, it just, it's, there's so much to unpack here. And I'm just a listener of your story. I cannot imagine what you, and you said seven years, seven years is such, it's a cycle period, right? And so you've had these seven years now with this information to unpack all of this. And also knowing if I'm understanding everything correctly, that you're, even if with this diagnosis, is not going to change how she reacts and responds. And so you could come to her and say, everything makes sense now. And I, I love you and you love me. And this is all, you know, grand. And it wouldn't even matter because for her, it's just, you know, right. in one ear and out the other, it sounds like it's like, she just doesn't have the processing. Right. And so here was another disguised gift that I, you know, there were so many, but, but, mm-hmm. but one thing I figured out about my mother was that all I have with her is the present moment. That's it. That is it. That is it. Mm -hmm. That is it. And even after we did the five hours of testing, my mom, bless her heart, she was just going with the flow. Like, yeah, okay, we'll do these tests. You know, like, well, you know, again, bless her heart. She would be like, well, what does this mean? And how does this, you know, and, and like, I remember even after the five hours of testing and getting the response from the doctor. And it was like, my mom was kind of like this little kid that was like, okay, well now we've done that. Like, can we go shopping now? Like she just, it, it, none of this stuck or made sense to her because she, she could see that it was making a big difference for me. Mm -hmm. And there was a moment the day after the testing where we sat in a restaurant because she had to come to Rhode Island and Massachusetts and she lives in Maine where, so we, the day after we went to go and sit and I was telling her, she was like, well, so what does this testing mean? And I was like, there was a moment, just a moment where she said, if that's true, what must it have been like to be my daughter? Mm. And so I start crying and she starts crying and I tell her, I tell her it was hard. Mom, it's been hard because I made up the story that you didn't love me. And in that moment, she was like, honey, I love you so much. And she, she put her hand you know, she reached her hands out and she held my hands and she says, tell me, tell me what it was like. And for an hour, I got to tell her what it was like. And then we got in the car and she leans over to me and she gives me a hug and she says, honey, thank you so much for telling me, even though I'm going to forget tomorrow. And we, she starts laughing (laughs) and I start laughing And we laughed and we laughed and we laughed. But in that moment, in that window, I got to tell her before she forgot again. And she did. She forgot the next day again. Uh Because it is, it was, it's like Groundhog Day with my mom. Like, and the beauty, but, but the beauty of it is that at almost 82 years old now, she'll have pain and, and all this like stuff, like throughout the day, but in the morning, it's like, she's 18 again. And she forgets the pain and the, anything that happened the day before that was of heartache. 
Uh-huh. Like, it's kind of like this really, it's given me this interest, interesting perspective about the present moment. Like mm. there's no suffering in the present moment. Yeah. And I was just thinking, God, what would it feel like to feel 18 again? You know, it's just getting excited about, you know, having the, that, um, I don't know if you've noticed this as I've gotten older, I'm like, oh, that's achy. This doesn't feel that great anymore. But I wanted, because you quoted earlier Pema Chodron, and I think she is absolutely about all you have is now, all you have is the present moment. And I almost feel like in our divine book of lives that we, you know, write before we incarnate, it's like we say, okay, and then I'm going to leave this book for myself and I'm going to meet this friend and I'm going to overhear this conversation because um, I'm going to need that support and that um, advice and that gift from the divine. And I remember a, a woman telling me a story once about how they were sitting in the living room on Christmas Eve or something. And she said that the priest was saying a prayer for the family, you know, it was a very um, connected family. And she said, as he was saying the prayer, she had her eyes closed and she felt the Holy Spirit come in. And I know in a lot, you know, in the, in, from what I understand, and I'm, I'm not Christian, I wasn't raised Christian or Catholic. So I, I want to speak, um, with the disclaimer that I don't know everything about this faith system, but what I view the Holy Spirit as is that absolute, regardless of your belief system, divine presence where you can feel it in the room where it's palpable. And I truly believe in that moment when you and your mother had that conversation that Holy Spirit, that divine presence, whatever you want to call it, was there, right there oh, and oh, space. Absolutely. And it's true that like my heart's longing at that point, mm -hmm. right, was so palpable, right? Like I, I was such a wounded maiden, right? Like without her mother my whole life, really. Mm -hmm. And so many of us are, so many of us are. Mm -hmm. And again, like some of us get resolution and some of us don't. I feel so grateful to have had that resolution. Did it change anything? Yes. And no. Mm -hmm. Right. Because, because it, it, it changed my perspective, but I still had to work through all of the grief, all of the rage, I, I had to, it was like that point in my life where I realized it, it, it wasn't my fault, but it was my responsibility mm. and that it's very different to have had a mother than it is to have been mothered. And I had had a mother, but I had never been mothered. Mm -hmm. And again, I was so disconnected in those three ways from my mother, from myself and from mother earth. Mm -hmm. And so when I went into that descent, and by the way, in my still in, in my mom's world, you don't divorce. And so my mom wasn't supportive through any of that process, you know, like, and, and now that I've told you who, you know, how, kind of how it was, there was no, she just didn't have the capacity to ever really be there for me in that way. Mm -hmm. um, the, the place where I do have really fond memories is when I had my baby and she's really great with infants. Right. Mm -hmm. And so she was such a great support to be there, to hold the baby and to, mm -hmm. to be there for me when I birthed my two children. But in terms of like an emotional capacity to nurture or hold me or, or an intellectual capacity to be with me in some of what I talk about, no, there's none of that, mm -hmm. but spiritually. And, and the interesting part is I left the Catholic church a long time ago and my mom, you know, I think she, she was always kind of praying for me type of thing <laughs> because her relationship has never wavered. You know, even though again, she left the convent, she maintained a very strong faith. And I think one of the most interesting things is upon my healing journey, I did it this shamanic journey 
And in the shamanic journey, I was shown that she agreed to be this person for me on this earth at this time so that I could become who I was meant to be. And in the shamanic journey, she said to me, because she was pointing to the moon that was rising up above the ocean in the shamanic dream Mm -hmm. and the moon and the moon turned into the Eucharist, the, the host and And she took it from the sky in the shamanic journey and she put it on her tongue and she said, Monica, the reason I go to church every day is to remind myself what my agreement was on earth, because I know how much it hurts you that I can't remember you while I'm here. So vivid, Monica, like just so... I know it's, it, it's been a lot. I mean, you're crying. I'm, I'm crying. crying. I mean, like, I know because, because the story and, and it's like, and, and we've, we've had like this beautiful hour, right? The story is so rich and I've, I've been stripping pieces because it's, it's so rich, it's so which rich. Is, is why I'm writing a book, but yeah. How could you not? I mean, this is, but it's, see, here's the thing. And I want to just share a dream that I had had because it it sort of mirrors and speaks to what you are saying. Um, but I also wanted to say the imagery throughout your story is just absolutely incredible. And I have such a vivid mind. And so it's like, I just have these fireworks and explosions happening of all of these images. And But in this dream, I was shown an iron grandfather clock. I'm going to paraphrase phrase the dream, but I was shown this grandfather iron clock and the clock was spinning around and around and around, not super fast, but fast enough for me to be looking at it and ha- in it to have several cycles. And in iron across the very bottom, it said, there is no mother. And what I took that to understand, because I was going through a tough time with my mother, was this human that I am claiming to be not just my mother, but the reason for my suffering or my frustration or et cetera, et cetera, was simply playing the role of my mother in this lifetime for me to understand myself on a deeper level. I knew that (laughs) I knew that dream to not mean there was no great mother because it would have said there is no great mother. It literally, it was like all of the Tetris pieces, boom, 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 boom. All of my shockers, like everything aligned in that moment. I remember waking up from that dream and going, of course, Yeah, I have been holding hostage. I have been holding accountable this person all my life. And they are literally just playing the role of my mother. And they're actually helping me. I wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation with you, nor you with me, if we did not have those exact perfect mothers that we had. That's who we are. And that is when we get how divine our lives are how divinely choreographed how held we are and because i mean i can raise my hand and be like who the hell would have abandoned me on this friggin godforsaken right <laughs> like what right. the hell and if you want to tell me that i decided to come here or that i even wrote this diabolically twisted story right like there's just a way that you have to bring your humor with you too Mm-hmm. You know, because otherwise you will go crazy Yeah, <laughs> because this place is, is it's crazy, difficult yeah. and to be crazy. Yeah. And so we have to find our way in it, not the way we have to find our way. Mm-hmm. And all of these ways that we get imagery, you know, we can tend to dismiss it. This is how the feminine speaks to us through the imagery, the visualization, the intuition, the emotions, Mm -hmm. and slowing down and re-inhabiting our bodies is the way, right? Mm -hmm. But I have Monica's story and Monica's way. And by the way, I had to re-narrate the story in a way that left me 
at the center of the story, not as the victim of the story. As empowered and not disempowered, absolutely 100%. And And I would have had to have done that whether I had found out what I found out or not. I could have just as easily wallowed in the woe is me not having that problem be solved. Right. Right. It's like my mother, the the hard truth is my mother's never going to be able to really see me, but she can see me. So what, what more do, you know, like there's, there's just a way that like, it's, it's kind of this mirror that bounces it back at you, you know, and you're like, right, the work is over here. Like I need to stay in my own hula hoop and do my own work. Right. And not do my mother's project for her. Right. Because (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's just, yeah. Well, and I think a part of the healing process, Monica is understanding and accepting that everyone has their own absolutely a perfectly aligned divine life to live and lead and that it you know nobody incarnated here nobody chose to say I'm really gonna I'm gonna incarnate and make that person's life miserable that's gonna be my goal you know it's more like we're all here to help each other learn and grow and evolve and become enlightened and again how do we truly do that is we take all of this external stuff that's thrown at us and we pull inward and we find our center and go, and who am I? And I remember, you know, I'm thinking of the quote by Jesus that says, know thyself. Your story is the perfect story to throw that in and say, know thyself and to thine own self be true. And my other favorite is, um, heal thyself. Mm. And I also wanted to just speak to your mother's faith. I feel like tethered her to her contract and to the earth. Otherwise she would have checked out completely. And so that faith, as much as, you know, it isn't your faith, just as my grandmother's faith wasn't my faith. It was important for me to have that as a shaping and to be able to go, well, that tethered her and it allowed me to rise up and evolve and to find my own truth. So that being said, I I mean, I could sit and talk to you forever. I mean, I just, I can't wait for your book to come out. Um, I want to now reel it in and say, so because your mother, it was almost like you learning her every single day, what would have been or was something that was an act of self-care or a ritual that you saw her that maybe kept you going with that thread of her, if that makes sense? So um, how I interpret your question is that I think my mother taught me the art of devotion. Mm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because my mom was devoted to her faith. And again, and her devotion kept her, like I could make up over here, like that that kept her, you know, in this patriarchal narrative that that kept her, you know, but that's not helpful here. It's like, what's helpful is that I witnessed her in her devotional life and being devotional in the way that it had meaning for her. Mm-hmm. And, and I now see my life as its own devotion. Like I, I see my devotion to the divine feminine and to the work of the mother and to the work of, you know, the rising feminine on this planet. And mm-hmm. It's like, my mother was always the voice of like, I mean, you, you now all know things weren't always working out in my life or hers, right? Like, (laughs) right. um, You know, it was messy. It was hard. It was traumatic, Mm -hmm. but there was a way that I just saw her do the best she could do in the time frame that she had it. And she had to let everything else go. And then the next day she couldn't remember it anyway. (laughs) So, Uh so there was this way that like in some strange realm, that's been helpful for me. That's been a model for me of what devotion is, is like, 
you do what you can do today and you let the rest go and it gets to be enough. Mm -hmm. And then you do what you need to do tomorrow. Right. And that gets to be enough. But like the practice always is this practice of constant Mm self-approval and of continuing to put my hand on my heart and say, Monica, you're enough. Mm -hmm. You are worthy. You are loved. And if the world doesn't agree, I have myself to love myself. Absolutely. And what I'm hearing and just how I'm interpreting is then the life, your life becomes a prayer. It's this daily ritual, this daily prayer of showing up for the self and being absolutely present. And that, I mean, I think that from an outsider, and I, of course, did not have the experience that you have, but I'm like, what a gift your mother gave you because you are so devoted to your light, to your truth, to yourself and to your project and the healing that you bring the feminine on this planet. And without everything from beginning to now, this wouldn't be happening. So what a gift. Mm, Yes. And I, I love that imagery of like life, you know, my life as a prayer because Mm -hmm. it's, it's true. It's, you know, it, it, it was the thing I kept rejecting early on. Right. And it's the thing that actually I've found my way with it. And, and through my healing have, have really, um, just, just revealed so much love and forgiveness and it's all about. Thank you so much. And I just want to say, I understood you cut out a little bit there, but I am so honored to have had you as a guest, Monica, your story is important. It's important to share it's other women will I feel like will be so moved and opened, broken open in the most beautiful way. You've been an amazing vessel of story and healing and triumph and rage and pain. And I feel so honored to have had you as a guest on my podcast. And I, um, I'm so grateful and I wish you the best with the Revelation Project. I know that you are doing amazing work on the planet. So thank you for being thank here. Thank you. Thank you, Amy. It's been an honor. It's, it really has. And I, I wish you the very, very best with this project. I know it's going to go far. And I know like we kind of talked about, you know, it's, it's such a part of, of an extension of you and your own work with mm-hmm. your relationship with your mom and bringing this this thing to women just through the storytelling, right. And hearing each other's stories is so important. Like for us to circle in this way and tell our stories, um, is everything right now. It's so, everything. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Rituals of Our Mothers. Again, I'm your host, Amy Jones, and I encourage and invite you to share your story. If you'd like to be interviewed, please direct message me on Instagram at Rituals of Our Mothers, and we'll speak soon. Ciao!